Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. It's Today Explained. I'm Halima Shah. For a lot of students around the country, winter break ended over a week ago, but many are still stuck at home. Today on the show, we're diving into the deep-seated labor issues behind the latest round of school building closures. But first, we're turning to our friends at Kramer Hill Elementary School in Camden, New Jersey. We've been checking in with them throughout the pandemic to see how they're dealing with COVID-19. Here's Principal Jesse Gizmondi. Our school building is not open for students today. Uh, We are all remote. However, we do have another vaccine clinic going on today at the school. So kids can come up to either get a PCR or a rapid test if they're not feeling well, or they could actually get their vaccine today at school. So that's exciting. So even though we're in virtual learning, the building is open for things like food service, because we still like to provide meals to our, our families in the community, tech support if your computer is not working, or um, PCR COVID tests. What went into the decision to go remote uh, for students? So actually, I'm pretty lucky because my school is a part of a charter organization. And just before the winter holiday, I think it was 10 schools had to move to virtual learning because the threshold of positive COVID cases was above 3%, which at the time was the county's metric for positivity rates that forced a school closure. So the CEO and our COO sort of made the decision that if 10 schools were already at this threshold, we wanted to really be prepared after the holiday where everyone was suggesting, like there is now, a surge in COVID cases. So they wanted to proactively close the schools so that we could get kids their computers, we could share with parents what it would be like after the holiday. And so now we are virtual because our positivity rates were above the threshold. And this was just a proactive decision to sort of keep everybody safe until we can test and see what our community transmission rate is. And how are parents and kids reacting to the decision to go virtual after winter break? I think that like every single parent and kid where you might have one parent say, I need to have my kids back in school. You then might have another parent say, I don't want my kid back in school. So it's a real mixed bag, to be perfectly honest. It's this like crazy duality, right? Where parents both desperately want their kids at school 
and also want to keep their kids safe from COVID. And similarly with kids, I think kids, the number one thing that we heard was, this is a bummer, or I'm finally able to hang out with my friends and it felt so good to be back. And now I'm back at home again. So I think that they also don't want to get COVID because then they can't hang out with their friends at all. And how is staff responding? I think when the network decided to do virtual learning for the two weeks after winter break, even like from my house, I could hear the audible sigh of relief from staff members because they wanted to be able to see their families over the holiday. They wanted to be able to celebrate. They wanted to be able to do all of these great things. And they know that what that might mean in the middle of this Omicron surge. I think that right now, we would not have been able to keep our schools safe with the amount of teachers that we have that are positive. But what's great is that all of those teachers have mild enough symptoms where they can teach virtually. How many teachers are currently sick right now? Currently, we have about 10 folks that we know of that were positive between the Christmas holiday and currently on early January. So some of them already finished their 10-day quarantine. But from the start of break, it was like, it's roughly a dozen staff members. And just for context, I have 95 staff members. So it's about 10% of my staff. Wow. Yeah. We know virtual learning is not as effective as in-person learning, but it's better than having 15 substitutes in the school at one time. So you knew school would be virtual after the holidays. How did the school prepare for that? From Thanksgiving until winter break, it was a feeling of we're on the brink. It was like this understanding that we're going to teach as hard as we can and we're going to push as much as we can because the unknown after the holiday was so real and like so tangible. You'd have teachers come into you in a meeting and say things like, yeah, I only have 17 out of 28 kids in person today. Or things like, strangely, I haven't seen such and such as brother or sister in 10 days, you you know? So I think that the proof was in the pudding. Like people really knew that folks were getting more and more sick. And so unlike March of 2020, where we had to go virtual with nothing, what we did is we really used December to reteach kids. Okay, when you log on to Zoom, here's what you click to get your assignment. When you're online, here's the curriculum platform. Here's what it's going to look like. And teachers from kindergarten to eighth grade actually practiced that with students so that in January, we would actually have a little bit more success. And I think that that predictability allowed us to feel a lot better about going virtual because it's, I mean, horrible. (laughs) It's terrible. So now it is January. How are students performing now? This is probably the best round of virtual learning that, that we've ever had. It's like we finally have a great playbook and we're running the plays. I mean, we're running the plays that we've practiced and that we've perfected and that we've communicated. So that feels great. Our attendance is above 75%, which is awesome for virtual learning. Just for some context, in person, we have above 93% every day. So it's definitely a drop. But we've been able to then communicate with parents because some parents will say, look, I work all day and I send my kid to a babysitter and Zoom is just not going to happen, but I'll finish all the assignments later that night. So at least we have the opportunity to like talk to families that aren't online for the live learning. And for the ones that aren't, 
we know that we will be back within a few days or a week or two so that we'll be able to catch them. So it doesn't feel like a total uh, waste, but it's it's definitely like a pause button. Like we, we can't go as fast as I think we would want to right now. I have enough friends who are teachers to know that during the pandemic, there have been a lot of tears in the parking lot and a lot of burnout. Are you concerned about your staff's mental health? I think that the mental health issues coming out of the pandemic and, and how it affects schools is quite honestly the number one thing that I'm, I'm worried about at this point. We constantly refer to ourselves as a family at Cramer Hill. Like Our teaching staff is really close and they're really supportive. But we've gone now almost three weeks without seeing each other, without talking to each other, without checking in to see whose family is sick, who's not. And I've been trying my best to like text folks and check in or have a Zoom meeting. But it's really hard to do without adding more screen time on for staff. I want to honor that as well. But I am truly, truly, truly worried about like the state of mental health of our staff and our employees, of how scary this is coming back because we're supposed to come back next week and the surge isn't over, the the peak isn't over. But all of the guidance from the community um, health departments are saying that schools are safe, um, which just kind of seems counter to then what everything says on the news about how not safe our world is right now with Omicron. Your school is scheduled to go back to in-person learning Tuesday, January 18th. Do you think that that will actually happen? I do. I do think that it, it will happen. So a lot of the local health departments, as well as CHOP, which is a children's hospital here in Philly, right outside of Camden, are saying that the transmission rates in school is not what's causing COVID transmission. It's the, the house parties and gatherings that people are doing indoors. Um, but because schools use masking and other levels of safety precautions, like we have air filters, we have social distancing, we have all those other things, that they're saying that the mental health aspects of being out of school doesn't outweigh the transmission. So I do think that we're going to open. I don't know how long we will stay open because if our in-school positivity rates go above the threshold that is considered safe by the health departments, then we'll have to close again. So with Omicron being where it is, I don't know how long we will stay open, but I do think that we will open on January 18th for at least a week or two, uh, hopefully longer, but I don't really know what will happen after that. Jesse Gizmondi is the principal at Kramer Hill Elementary School in Camden, New Jersey. Coming up, why the latest round of classroom closures is different from the others. That's in a minute on Today Explained. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no 
catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for the show comes from Shopify today. Shopify is, of course, the global commerce platform flexible enough to help your business sell at every stage of growth. You know that friend of yours who's like on that next level yoga, who's like doing backflips? That's like Shopify when it comes to helping your business sell at every stage of growth. No matter what you're making, Shopify can help you turn browsers into buyers and sell your products everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system. Shopify offers the flexibility to support your operation. And right now they're offering Shopify Magic, an AI-powered helper created to give you a little boost and help you stress less and sell more. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash explained. Anna North Vox, you are a senior correspondent covering American work and family life. How many kids around the country are staying home after winter break? So a lot of American families are dealing with school closures uh, coming out of winter break. At least 5,400 schools across the country closed their physical buildings for one or more days in the first week of 2022, according to the data service Burbio. Um, now, some of them are going to open back up this week, but others won't. And um, it's safe to say that for lots and lots of schools around the country, we are looking at disruption in the weeks ahead. We're seeing a few different things going on here, although there are some of the same root causes involved. One is um, some districts opted to close sort of preemptively so that everyone could get tested coming back from winter break. Seattle Public School says students will be returning to in-person learning following winter break. However, they have just canceled the first day back. So some districts, including Cambridge, decided to delay their reopening so students and staff have more time to get tested and so they can plan for absences due to any positive results. We saw some schools closing for one or two days, some closing for up to a week. In some cases, those districts are now back in person. There are also places, and Chicago is the main one I'm thinking of here, where there's a labor dispute going on. And it's no school on Monday. That's the word from Chicago Public Schools. The standoff with the teachers union over COVID precautions enters its second week. Teachers have certain things they want before they would feel safe coming back to classrooms in person. If you want to get us back into the schools quicker, provide testing. Do it. New York has done. Do it. Los Angeles has done. Do it. Cleveland has done. Do it. The private school in Marisons her own childhood. The district and city officials have said, no, we need to have in-person learning right now. When our district was fully remote, our children suffered. We saw triple the amount of failures in elementary school uh, testing and learning, triple. And they're kind of at a standstill where schools have been closed because they can't agree. 
But then all around the country, there's also this wider issue, which is that it's just incredibly hard to staff a school right now. New developments overnight had the Philadelphia school district switching even more schools to virtual learning for the entire week. This comes as districts across the region deal with staff shortages because of COVID-19. In some ways, we're at a more fortunate place in the pandemic than we used to be and that we have these vaccines that prevent severe illness in a lot of cases. But with Omicron, they don't necessarily always prevent transmission. So we're seeing these enormously high case counts and people getting sick and needing to quarantine. That means teachers need to quarantine. It means there might not be someone to teach your child's math class. It means there might not be someone to teach your child's English class. Um, And when enough teachers are out, it becomes really difficult even to have school. Because of the pandemic, the school district is already struggling with the substitute teacher pool. So they're assigning personnel who are not typically in the classroom to go back. If things continue to get worse, um, we will hit that point to where more than likely we're going to have to double up some of our classes. So you're seeing some districts preemptively close because they're worried they won't be able to essentially operate a school. Um, And I think in the weeks ahead, we're going to see more schools and classrooms have to shut down potentially for a day or perhaps longer, simply because there aren't enough healthy teachers and staff to keep things open. How did we get to this point? We've had school closures since March 2020. At the very beginning of the pandemic, schools in all 50 states shut down to stem the spread of coronavirus. Now, a lot of folks hoped that with the vaccines, those closures would be over. I'm very pleased to announce New York City public schools will fully reopen in September. Every single child will be back in the classroom. And, you know, in fact, we did see in early 2021 and especially towards the end of the 2020-2021 school year, a lot of schools did open up for in-person learning and people were really optimistic and maybe the days of remote school are over. Now, Delta kind of messed that up. Delta was more transmissible than previous variants, um, and so it led to more kids, more teachers having to quarantine. Um, that was really tough on kids and families. Um, you know, it was tough for kids to have to miss school after they already missed so much school. And it was tough for parents to try to find follow-up childcare after they'd already missed so much work, um, not to mention that they themselves might also have been quarantining. But then these quarantines also really affected teachers and other school staff, everyone, all the adults that are in a school. Um, Because when a teacher was out sick or was out quarantining, someone had to cover their classes. That same thing is true for bus drivers, cafeteria workers, counselors, the school nurse. Every adult in the school building, those are essential jobs. Somebody has to do that work or the school can't function. Now... Usually, substitute teachers would be able to fill in those gaps, at least in the classroom. Um, But there's a big problem, which is that um, starting with the pandemic, a lot of districts started facing shortages of substitute teachers, um, in part because lots and lots of teachers had left the field since the pandemic began. A survey of teachers nationwide finds 28% say they've considered retiring early or leaving the profession due to stress and health concerns. This comes when there's already a shortage of qualified teachers. So suddenly, you know, if your math teacher's out, ordinarily you could call on one of your regular subs, but that person isn't a teacher anymore. They're not substituting. 
And so suddenly you're left in a bind. A lot of a lot of schools have told me that when one teacher is out, then another teacher just has to give up their prep period to go and cover that class. But what a teacher uses a prep period usually for is grading and planning the next day's classes. So suddenly they haven't graded any of their papers. They haven't planned the next day's classes. So all those students that were supposed to be in the next day's class, those kids are affected. And it just gets worse and worse the longer the substitute shortage goes on and the deeper it gets. So you hear about principals scrubbing toilets. You hear about uh, the school guidance counselors are now teaching classes as substitutes, even though kids are facing a lot of mental health issues and they really need their guidance counselor. But so many teachers are out that the guidance counselor just has to step in. Ava, this is not handled. There is a seven-year-old custodian who voted for Kanye teaching social studies right now. We need help. All of this makes it harder and harder for schools to function and harder and harder for individual teachers to do their job on a daily basis. And that was hard even with the Delta variant. Now with Omicron, it's just turbocharged because this is so much more transmissible and so many more people are out sick on any given day. So school staff are basically working double duty in just about every way. What pandemic responsibilities are they now tasked with? So in addition to having to cover for their colleagues who are out sick or quarantining, there's a ton of other additional responsibilities that have been added to teachers' plates since the pandemic began. So teachers and other school staff are now contact tracers. They're saying, you know, this kid sat next to that kid. This kid was positive on this day. They're serving as almost like public health officials saying you have to pull up your mask or this is safe or this isn't safe. Teachers at a school like Abbott, we have to be able to do it all We are admin, we are social workers, we are therapists, we are second parents. Hell, sometimes we're even first. Mm -hmm. And I had one teacher tell me that, you know, one thing that teachers really liked about their job before the pandemic is people really appreciated them. You know, people would thank them. Like, you would get this real real glow of doing something good for society. But now parents are really angry at teachers. The garbage workers who pick up my freaking trash— risk their lives every day more than anyone in this school system. Figure it out. There's been this sort of like parents versus teachers dynamic has developed during the pandemic. And to some degree, you know, lawmakers and candidates have kind of fueled this saying, you know, oh, it's teachers that are keeping schools closed when it's often more complicated than that. Um, And so you've seen teachers really cast as the enemy and they feel that and they feel the anger. And, you know, what what this one teacher told me is like a lot of teachers don't feel the love from society anymore. It just makes it extra hard to do their job. You know, not only are they doing all this new stuff, but everyone's also mad at them. I guess it's not surprising then that so many teachers are quitting. But I got to say, Anna, even that feels like an old problem because teaching has always had high turnover rates. But now that the pandemic is actually making people pay attention, what's the fix? I mean, we can start by paying teachers more. In public education, pay has been really stagnating for decades. Um, Teachers make 21.4% less than other workers with comparable education. That's as of 2018. And then bus drivers, cafeteria workers, substitute teachers, they're making even less. So you're paying a pretty big wage penalty for being a public school teacher or being an adult that works in the public schools. And add to that the fact that it's really, really hard to do those jobs right now. One way to potentially stop so many people from leaving and maybe attract more people coming in would just be to raise the pay. 
you know, folks talk about workload a lot. I think that's what a lot of teachers will point to, even almost more so than pay um, in the public school system is just, you know, there need to be more people to do these jobs. Obviously, none of this is a quick fix, but this pandemic isn't going to be over in the next couple weeks either. And if districts can really reckon with some of these big problems that the pandemic has exposed, then they can prepare for the next wave if and when that comes, and they can prepare for whatever crisis comes after that, um, you know, whatever that is, and, and make it easier on educators and students and families. Anna North covers work and family life for Vox. Today's episode was produced by Miles Bryan with help from Hadi Mawagdi. I'm Halima Shah, filling in for Sean Ramos for him, who will be back with us tomorrow. It's Today Explained. <laughs>